Hi everyone, this is Devin from Fluvio and you're listening to Embracing Erosion, the podcast that lets you inside the heads of product marketers, investors, and go-to-market leaders who tackle changes head-on and turn them into competitive advantages. Navigating the world of product marketing is tough. At Fluvio, we get it, probably more than anyone else. We see you wrestling with resources, proving your team's worth, and juggling changing responsibilities all the time. But imagine a world where you could confidently and systematically tackle your product marketing challenges. That's where our go-to-market model comes in. The Fluvio go-to-market model guides each one of our engagements with the likes of Stack Overflow, LinkedIn, NASDAQ, and many more, and provides companies with a path to clarity and success. And now, we're thrilled to package up that model and deploy it within our new product, the Fluvio Go-To-Market Assessment. The Go-To-Market Assessment delivers transformative insights to gauge your team's performance, identify key investment areas, and sets up benchmarks for success. If you are a product or marketing leader, get started today with our proprietary Go-To-Market Assessment and receive a customized evaluation and actionable insights within one week. Just go to fluviomarketing.com slash GTM assessment today. On this episode of Embracing Erosion, I was joined by Andy McCotter Bicknell. If you are unfamiliar with Andy, he is a prominent figure in the competitive intelligence and product marketing space. He's currently the head of competitive intelligence at Apollo and was previously the head of competitive intelligence at ClickUp and a senior product marketer at Zoom Info. Andy also has a notable presence as a content creator and educator, and I see a budding entrepreneur in him. On the side, Andy is building Healthy Competition, the number one newsletter, podcast, and community for competitive intelligence. He has also built out the Competitive Playbook, an online course, and recently launched another course, Ready for Launch, alongside former Embracing Erosion guests Tamara Griminski and Jason Oakley. Ready for Launch is a live course that helps product marketers master the art of product launch. In this episode, we dig into a bunch of topics such as how to accelerate your career, the branding implications of being acquired, the future of go-to-market tech, how to initially build out a a competitive intelligence program, defining competitors versus alternatives, and we chat a bit about his vision for his community healthy competition. So without further ado, let's jump in. All right, we're rolling. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Andy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, dude. So let's jump right into it. At this point, I've already explained to our listeners your background, but I wanted to start with the fact that I actually think your background in some ways reminds me of of mine. Um, I see just by looking at what you've done in a short amount of time and also our conversations previously, you definitely have a lot of ambition um, and you've moved up pretty quickly in your career. You went from being an associate product marketer in 2019 to the head of competitive intelligence at ClickUp and now head of uh, competitive intelligence at Apollo just a few years after being an associate. I guess for listeners that might be as impressed as I am, how did you do that? How did you expedite your career and what, what's your thinking there? I think that one way to kind of move up uh, a little bit quicker than you would otherwise is by niching down 
And that happened for me. Like, it wasn't something that I naturally kind of, uh, I don't know, like pushed for. Like, it was something that my VP at the time had kind of approached me with. And so you're right. So I, I just to give some context, like I, I was at Zoom Info for a little while when I started my product marketing career. I was an associate PMM. And then uh, handled a few launches over like the course of a year and uh, became a PMM, just like a manager kind of level. And as part of that, you know, I was doing a lot of different things. We only had a a couple of PMMs at the time at Zoom Info. Um, It was still like less than a thousand employees. You know, as part of being a smaller team, those individuals have to just kind of cover more bases. And so I was doing some enablement. I was doing some buyer personas. I was doing some GTM launch planning. I was also doing competitive Intel. And, um, when we were expanding the team, the product marketing team, my VP had ended up saying at one point, like, Oh, like all the competitive Intel stuff that you're putting together, I can see that it's really good. Like it's high quality. It seems like you enjoy doing that stuff. Like I'm just going to make you like in charge of the competitive Intel stuff. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that that was like a direction that I could kind of go in. But once I learned that like, okay, like I should like maybe double down on this area, that almost like freed me up to do some of my best work. Mm. And uh, it was something that I also knew, luckily, that um, a lot of the executive leadership at the time really liked that kind of material. They were interested in it. They understood competitive intel, which is always a plus. If you can have somebody at like the leadership level who understands and values the work that you're doing and you have more visibility to that then you can move up a little bit quicker and so i think those things worked in my favor um and also just getting in front of as many people as possible and so i think product marketing i've spoken with a couple of other product marketers about this but like it's kind of a dangerous job in that you can kind of hide if you really want to like you can kind of just like do the work you know, in the background, you can like do some research, you can kind of like enable others and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you can do really, really well if you get in front of sales, you get in front of the product team, you have conversations, you build relationships, you get the whole company like behind a specific launch. And there's tons of opportunity for you to do that. They might not be just like given to you because a lot of people don't know what product marketing is, but you can kind of flex things within an organization so that you can make yourself more known, you can make your value more known. And so that was always really important to me specifically was getting in front of as many different people as possible so that they could be like, oh, yeah, like Andy has helped me with X, Y, or Z, like automatically thinking about you, you know, as as your value within the company for different things. So I would say that 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 was another big thing for me. And so when you went from Zoom Info to ClickUp, as the head of comp intel like did you have to was that a role that existed at clickup like are you seeing head of competitive intel as a standard sort of role within companies that you're now moving into or are you creating that for yourself i kind of i so i created that one uh that's a that's another great question i think um you have to it's like part of the negotiating process for a lot of these roles i mean what i see most is Senior product marketing manager, comma, competitive intel. Yeah. And um, that was kind of my role already at Zoom Info. And I was like, okay, well, I have a great thing going at Zoom Info right now. Like if I want to go somewhere else, like 
I would want some kind of like a, a title bump like that. That would be important to me. And in in most cases, when you're negotiating, like as long as it's not like a big jump up to like a director level or VP or something like that, like that's a that's a thing that a lot of people miss out on when they're like negotiating. I think they normally think just of comp, which is important, but there's other things that you can mess around with too. And so that was important for me was getting to like that head of kind of role. But that also empowered me then when I got to ClickUp, it wasn't just a title, but it was also like, okay, I own the competitive Intel program. This is a legitimate program that's going to have legitimate business impact. And so it was also kind of a mindset thing too. Yeah. Okay. So let's rewind a little bit. I know before Zoom Info, you were at a company called Discover Org. I'm actually not familiar with Discover Org, but would love to hear a little bit about that. And that was acquired by Zoom Info. So I don't know if everyone is, you know, most people haven't gone through an acquisition like that, where you're really incorporated into a, a company that has similar, you know, capabilities probably, and there's some personnel, you know, elements going on through acquisition. As a consulting company, we've, we've worked with a ton of companies through acquisition. So I would love from the inside out, what was that experience like being a part of a company that was acquired by the likes of a, a large enterprise like Zoom Info? Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned that because it was actually Discover Org that acquired Zoom Info, which not many people <laughs> know about. So back what? in the day, okay. yeah, back in the day. So again, this is like 2019, 2020-ish. Uh, I, I forget which year it was. Um, but yeah, I started out working at Discover Org. And at the time, there were two main players in like the data provider space. There was Discover Org and there was Zoom Info. Discover Org really took the angle of high quality data. We had like a research team uh, that would like manually parse through different data points for accuracy and zoom info at the time. Uh, they were more about like data quantity. And whenever we would be doing like win loss programs, it was just very clear. It was just like zoom info and discover org neck and neck for like every single competitive deal. All the other ones were like just so marginal, like, wasn't even really like making much of an impact. And so um, Discover Org acquired Zoom Info. And then there was some branding, like a branding kind of survey that was done kind of at like the executive level that was more like, okay, like, what do, what do we do? Like, for like the go forward motion, because Discover Org, I think was founded in like 20, 2008. Zoom Info was founded in like 2001 or something like that. And it turned out that Zoom Info had the stronger brand recognition. However, mm. Discover Org was known for high quality data. And so for a while it was Zoom Info powered by Discover Org. And then about a year after that, it just went straight to Zoom Info. But it you're right, it, that doesn't normally happen where the company that acquires the other one takes that brand. But that was what happened with Zoom Info. That's really interesting. And uh I promise I do a, a bit of research. No, that's, so that's a, a weird one. It's a weird one. So don't and you're yeah, not I mean, the first I've known Zoom Info. I've known Zoom Info for a long time when I was in the ad tech space, it was like a decade ago, <clears throat> Zoom Info was one of the big third-party data providers for targeting purposes. So I just made the assumption that Zoom Info was the uh, yeah the acquirer. So, That's wild. You wouldn't be the only person to to think that for sure. And um, you know, I've been on. I guess really, it's only been like from like the acquirer's perspective because you know Discover Org had acquired. Um, I think it was Never Bounce before then. And Rain King before then, which was another uh, data provider. But then while I was there, we did Zoom Info, uh, Chorus, uh, Ringlead. I'm trying to think of what the other ones were. I want to. There's like two others. 
anyway, uh, that's a huge part of their strategy, or it was while I was there. And um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I think the Zoom Info one was definitely the most interesting one because we were pretty equal in employee size at the time, like between Discover Org and Zoom Info, it was like, you know, each one was like, I don't know, six, 700 employees. And so by that point, you're pretty much doubling in size. And there was also like the culture of compete between the two organizations. Yeah. Like you were pretty, like you, you could say that there's, I mean, the, the entire culture of Zoom Info even still is very, very competitive and just like the data provider space in general. Um, and so it was, it was definitely interesting. I hadn't been there, I would say long enough to really develop like a formal opinion on, you know, the other company or like that competitor. Um, but I knew that it was more challenging for some of the other folks who had like been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We, we've worked with a couple of companies, as I mentioned, that have gone through acquisitions themselves or have acquired companies. And there's always a little bit of a, a delicate balance, particularly if the companies are of the same size, there's always one acquire, um, but you'll see that there's like these two companies are merging. And when you see that, just know it's positioning uh-huh. because the reality is that there's an acquire. And if you know who the acquire is, you know the direction it's going to go uh, in terms of a lot of things, personnel and vetting who's going to be there and why and roles and responsibilities, but then also brand and, and all of that stuff and products. Yeah. Um, I would say what is your experience been now that you're at Apollo, which is very much sort of, you know, built standalone, not, not that model at all and very high growth. Um, what's your, like, if you were to compare the two type of environments, how would you do that? Oh, it's, that's, that's a great question. Um, with Apollo, it's almost like taking my experience at zoom info and ClickUp and kind of combining them because with ClickUp is very much a PLG, like oriented business. Whereas with Zoom Info, it was very much sales first. And so uh, with Apollo, you kind of have that same uh, industry, right? Data providers, but then you mix in like the PLG kind of engine that's powering a lot of the growth. And uh, it's it's been fantastic. So far, so good. I mean, I've been here for about six weeks, but like the company's great. There's tons of opportunity as anybody in like the GTM kind of data provider space will say. I mean, like there's never a dull moment with, you know, the competitive landscape. There's tons of innovation. And it's one of those things too, where it would kind of surprise you. It's almost like, again, kind of like ClickUp in that you had like, it's a, it's a, it's a mature category and there's like mature players, you know, at ClickUp there, you know, there's obviously like Atlassian who had been around the block for a really long time. Um, And you also still like had these new kind of incumbents that were rethinking like what collaboration and productivity meant within an organization and companies that are like approaching it in different ways, Um, almost like reinventing kind of like what we had previously thought of when you think of, you know, collaboration or productivity, whatever. Um, And so I love, being a part of like those companies that are really rethinking kind of these pre-existing uh, categories, you know, we, you can say what you want about creating categories. I think that that's, you know, obviously one way you can go about things, but it's, I think it's really cool to take a category that we already know, like there's a historical, there's, there's a, there's an entire history of like existing growth um, and, and proven like tactics and like showing like, yeah, we know that these things work, but then somehow being able to like spark new life into it. Um, I, I just think that that's really fascinating. Uh, and so that's kind of what I'm 
Like what, what really drove me to looking closer at Apollo? Tell me a little bit about what you see for the future of this category. You've obviously now been in it a bit. Um, and also, I guess, I feel like I've heard different terms for the category. So what's your definition of the category? Uh, well, there's a bunch of different categories that Apollo plays in specifically, for sure. Right. Like there's not like just like one category that I think at least I would be approved from like a comms perspective to be like, yes, we are in whatever XYZ yeah. category. Um, but, you know, obviously sales intelligence, sales engagement, conversation intelligence. Those are just like the top three off like the top of my head. But we're also working on deal intelligence. That's another really big thing that uh, uh, folks are are leaning more deeply into. Um, and is that like defining the, the buying committee yeah. and like how to? Yeah, yeah. So like forecasting and making sure that you understand everyone who's involved in a deal, being able to multi-thread, being able to, from like a sales leadership perspective, understanding like what does your pipeline look like and who's all involved with a deal? When was the last time you uh, you spoke with uh, a contact within the account that you have slated to close like in two weeks? That kind of a thing. Okay. And is that is that one of the broader trends you're seeing, not just at Apollo, but across the, the category? Yeah, absolutely. There's just like this consolidation that's happening within this uh, like GTM tech space. Um, and it's really around, I would say, like those kind of main categories. And um, yeah, I think that so far what we've seen is a lot of acquisitions to make that happen. Um not many companies have tried to just like build their way into those categories and create like a more like cohesive experience. Um, and so I see that as being what Apollo has is really trying to um, achieve that plus again, like all with a PLG engine, which most of the other vendors that are in like this kind of broader GTM landscape where they're trying to consolidate, a lot of them are sales first. And so I think that that's definitely a, a big competitive advantage and differentiation uh, for Apollo. And so just being able to like capture a broader audience through that motion. So that's, you know, that's how I see things. There's still like a ton of activity going on and, you know, things change all the time for sure. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that should give you like a two minute explainer of, of how I see it right now. <laughs> and what about the, like the merging of, CRM, customer, you know, comms technology, email technology. Like, yeah. who was it? HubSpot? What, what just happened? With HubSpot made an acquisition. Yeah, yeah. Right. They bought uh, Clearbit. And so Clearbit was yes. always known for, uh, like, enrichment. And they also had tools for website visitor tracking. Um, I think they had something for another form of buying intent. Maybe they could uh, – maybe they integrated with another vendor for that. But in either case, yeah. So that's, that's another big piece. Like, CRMs, what are we going to do about that? Uh, so, you know, that's not something that you can just kind of like tiptoe around. You kind of have to figure yeah. out. And it's, it's funny too, because, uh, while Apollo kind of has a CRM play, like where there's like some smaller businesses that might choose to use Apollo for a CRM. You also have, uh, when I worked at ClickUp, there were some companies that used ClickUp as a CRM, which do, two businesses are like completely different. You know what I mean? It's like in terms of like really like what they present as. And so that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other, I would say, topic that you could kind of discuss for, for hours on, on like what that landscape looks like. But yeah. All right. Now I want to chat a little bit about your expertise in competitive intelligence. You've kind of like created this role for yourself at different companies before you mentioned how the title in itself gave you this sort of credibility to do so. 
What would you say to product marketing leaders or even CMOs or CPOs who recognize they have to establish a CI program, but you know, haven't been able to do so or just starting? Like what works, what didn't work? You know, what's your lessons from from your, you know, three different companies now where you've done this? Yeah. I think that you can you can start part time. Like you don't have to hire somebody full time to do this. I mean, that was that was what I did. It was like a you know, probably like 10, 15 hours per week, I would dedicate to CI. And that almost helped you kind of prove the value, you know, with the, with whatever time you were able to dedicate to it. And so that's, that's one piece just saying that you can do part time, that's not like the end of the world. And then two, I think that's also valuable to start part time with somebody internally, so that when the time does come, assuming that you're growing, and you do want to add like a full time headcount, you have somebody who is really close to the landscape and all the processes that have been built out, and they can just kind of ramp things up. Again, that was that was my kind of past. And it really, I felt like worked really well, you didn't have to introduce a new person as like the CI expert or anything like that. It was just like this person who's always been around and okay, they're shifting roles and they're now going to take on this responsibility full time. That's one thing. The next thing I would say is that's really important is getting like a top down agreement on who the competitors are, the most important ones to focus on. And I think this is something that we we all naturally agree on, but then we don't actually follow through with it. And it's because, you know, anything that where you have to get like CRO, CEO, CPO, like all those folks like in agreement on it's, it's actually pretty challenging because they're all very opinionated. And, you know, in most cases, uh, one of them is probably a co-founder or multiple and they've been around for a long time. They have very like biased perspectives. Um, and so being able to go in there and say like, yes, we're going to build this program and we're going to really focus on you know, these top three, five competitors, and it's all agreed upon, like from the top down, that way you're not doing all of this research on competitors only to then learn, oh, the CEO actually doesn't really care about those competitors, or it's not who they're building a strategy around. That's something right. that um, could save you months of work. Oh, hey, look at that. You, you can do these. <laughs> you see this on Riverside? Did you just do that by mistake? Yeah, or yeah. That just automatically go on. Yeah, people, people that are listening on the on the podcast, if you do like hand signals on Riverside, then you have these like green screen oh, that's effects. What did it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I just did a thumbs up, and then it was like, oh man, yeah. You see oh, that? You gotta, yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> but in either case, yeah. So uh, making sure that your like leadership team is like fully bought into the competitors themselves. Um, that's another like thing that you would you would assume is something that you got to do but then people don't actually like go through with it fully and they can you know it, they're in for a rude awakening like four months down the road when the ceo is like well wait a minute what about this one like what do we know about them and then they're like oh i don't know we're, we're not really tracking them that kind of a thing yeah it's funny you say that because we're going through this engagement right now with this a company that's pretty young i would label them as a startup They've been around for a little while, but they're still really a startup. And they started as very, very focused on this SMB vertical. And their competitive set is decently well-defined. And now they're moving into offering an enterprise solution. And it's a little bit more 
sort of end-to-end than most players in the space. And so by virtue of that, there are dozens and dozens of companies that technically could be labeled as competitors. And we're going through this exercise of like pulling those out, sort of diagramming them in different scenarios and trying to get the CEO to agree to a set in which will leverage to then build positioning and messaging and a go-to-market motion for the company. But it's been, I think it's been surprisingly challenging on our side. Sometimes it's easier than others, but yeah, I think, uh, don't take that for granted. I think there are a lot of companies that have really well-defined competitors and there are others that it's actually quite a, quite an exercise to get there. Absolutely. Especially with these, I feel like I'm, I'm the one who's like choosing these companies, obviously, but like, you know, with ClickUp where you're, you're in like 20 different categories and Apollo where you're in like 15 different categories, it can be tough to really like really lean in and say like, yeah, this is the other company that's doing something most similar to us. Or on the flip side, it could be, hey, we're not actually running into this company or this competitor very often, but our strategy has us going more in this direction where they're the category leader. So we need to be like on the top of our game and understanding how we differentiate. That's another way that you could think about it. But yeah, there's lots of different ways that you can kind of cut it. Yeah. I wanted to chat a little bit about some underappreciated aspects of competitive intelligence and maybe like what the real tangible benefits are to building a program. And my question starts from a place where, you know, I was in an environment at Amazon where you basically were told to ignore competitors. I don't know if you've heard that about Amazon where it's like, everything's about the customer. It starts with Jeff Bezos. Like all you don't forget about customer or forget about competitors, build for the customer, listen to the customer And I think I drank that Kool-Aid a bit while I was there. And to some extent, Amazon is in a fortunate position to be able to do that in a lot of categories. (laughs) Most companies cannot, especially younger companies that are just kind of getting started. Um, But anyway, I can't imagine a competitive intelligence program being set up, at least in the Amazon ads business that I worked in. Um, But I'd love like, yeah, I guess, what are your thoughts on sort of like what's underappreciated, how to sell the value of, of CI? Yeah, I mean... Look, there are more companies that are around today than like ever before, especially like within the tech space. There are more companies that are getting started and going through different like accelerators like YC every single year. Like you see these kind of stats. If you see like the uh, the Martech 10,000, you know, they are showing all this growth of these different companies that are continuing to operate. And it's so like that's kind of the perspective that I take. Like there's always going to be another option or alternative for any solution, whether that's a formal competitor of yours, someone who does something similar to what you do, or just like an Excel spreadsheet. And so at the very bare minimum, you need to understand like what the alternatives are to using your product. And you also need to make sure that you are opinionated and you and you know like exactly how you want to get around that and show your value relative to those alternatives i mean when we go into like any true like positioning exercise like if you read something like obviously awesome by by eightful dunford competitors it's not the entire strategy but usually it's an input to multiple different really key elements to running a business and so i i think that in most cases we when we think about competitors, we do this thing where we compare competitors versus customers, or we think that, oh, no, if we're going to be thinking about competitors, that's going to take away from some other thing. 
And it really doesn't have to be like that. Like we can thoughtfully approach competitors or alternatives it, just like we do any other kind of function in business. And so I know it's it's kind of a it's kind of become this like taboo thing, which is always fun to write about and and learn about. I think that it comes from a place of like also there's there's like a personal way that people can think about competitors too, like uh like comparing themselves versus other people. And so that's another reason why I think that um, this whole like function is interesting because you always have people's opinions. But in either case, I yes, you are right that there's plenty of people that that might say something like that, and Amazon is definitely in a fortunate position to be able to say that. But I think for the vast majority of people, like having a good understanding of what customers are using in place of you or can use in place of you, or if they didn't have you, what they would do. I think having that knowledge, that would only benefit you. It's funny. You keep saying alternatives and it's, it's making me smirk because I'm like a typical founder of a company where I consistently am like, well, we don't have any competitors. Like there's no one doing exactly what we're doing. And I do believe that we're super unique. There is no one doing exactly what we're doing, but there are certainly alternatives. So when you start using the terminology alternatives, I go, oh, well, yeah, I mean, there are totally. independent consultants. Yeah. But like independent consultants are nothing like Fluvio. Oh, there's agencies, sure. But like, we're not an agency. Mm-hmm. But some people would be like, well, what do you mean? What's the difference? But in my head, I'm like, well, there's a dramatic difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to get started on it? But yeah, it's very, very important. And I could yeah, tell you as I grow Fluvio and also the positioning work we do for companies, like understanding the ecosystem you sit within, the alternatives, what buyers are considering, they don't necessarily have to be labeled as competitors even. It's almost semantics. Totally. But, and that um, was something that I actually learned while I was at ZoomInfo because that was a – it's almost like an internal positioning exercise um, to kind of get your go-to-market teams pumped up. You know what I mean? Like I remember at the at the time we were definitely the leader in the category – Zoom info was, and that was something that like we heard from the top down. Like we don't have competitors, but we do have uh, what did they say? Market alternatives, and <laughs> yeah, uh, so it was. You know, it's definitely like kind of like a a mental kind of exercise to go through. And if you you know if you buy into that, then that's definitely like a you could come into a deal feeling really really good about about what you're selling. And so I definitely. I definitely see the value in kind of these different ways that you can frame competitors and, and alternatives differently, like all those types of things. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for that kind of stuff that I totally I'm, I'm into it. All right. So I'd be remiss not to dig into a passion project for you, uh, which someday might become a full time gig. Um, I don't know, again, what your ambitions are, which is partly what I want to chat about. But healthy competition, if folks out there are not familiar with it, could you give a quick overview of what healthy competition is and what your vision is for the community yeah so healthy competition is a community newsletter and podcast for competitive intel folks it's pretty much been my passion project for the past couple of years it started with me um, posting more frequently on linkedin just sharing kind of my thoughts on competitive intel what i've learned how i do things and then it grew into me making uh, a digital course it was like 90 minutes again just all about hey, here's how I've approached building competitive Intel programs. And then over time was able to find other competitive Intel folks that were also passionate about doing things right. And the the competitive Intel profession is one of those things that it just isn't talked about very much. Or if it's talked about, it's really 
misunderstood or it's painted in this way of it being like very old school, very like spy, like, you know, like undercover, like all that kind of stuff. And it was always like that I, I could never relate to that. Because, like, I, dude, I'm, like, literally just a product marketer. Like, there's no government background, no, like, weird – all those, like, kind of associations never really resonated with me. And um, so I, I tried to more, like, find people that were in similar positions to me. Like, hey, like, I'm a product marketer or a product manager, and I was tasked with building out my company's competitive intel program. And um, – like I said, because we're not talking, we weren't talking too much about this publicly before. A lot of the processes were really different. There was never any kind of go to like this is how you do things. Kind of like you know, you see these blogs everywhere of like here's how you like create an ABM program, uh, or like here's how you like demand gen. Like all there's all these other marketing programs that I feel like have almost been over explained. And competitive intel has been very much underexplained. Like there are so many different ways that people are going about things. And as I met with more competitive intel folks, I was like, oh my God, like there's just like so much goodness that isn't being documented, isn't being shared anywhere. And so that was some of the main motivation behind putting together the community, just getting a, a you know, this group together to start talking through and like sharing like, hey, here's how I've done this thing. Uh, and I saw like this kind of level of success or these are the results or, hey, I have, you know, these types of questions about uh, building things out. It could be even not I'm just starting out in this role, but it could also be, hey, you know, I'm one year into this thing. Like I've done A, B and C. Like now what do I do? Like who's who who feels like they're they've plateaued in their CI career? Like what do you do to like keep things kind of moving? It's seeing like all these different perspectives that I feel like I've never seen before like in a blog or anything like that and um so in either case that is healthy competition in a nutshell um it's been fantastic like just in building it and seeing the passion that other folks have it definitely lights me up but yeah it's definitely been like a part-time thing aside from all of the the work that i do for like zoom info apollo uh ClickUp. And so it's been fun to kind of figure out how to, you know, keep it going while making sure that I continue to like really push forward and uh, and continue to learn in my other full-time roles as well. So you're niching down, which is kind of like following your own advice, right? I feel like product marketing as a discipline, you know, five, maybe stretching back 10 years ago, but really five years ago, really became a little bit more defined, understood, valued. You saw product marketing alliance as a community explode uh, obviously it was around the same time also fluvio started and now competitive intelligence oftentimes a subset of product marketing now you're kind of taking that approach and niching it down further i'm very interested to see how big that can grow yeah me too um, it's funny um because i was i see these things all the time where people think oh like before you like you might think that you need to go wider in order to like get uh like the audience that you want, but most of the time when you feel that way, you just need to continue like to like niche down. And I've gone through that um, personally, like with healthy competition. I think, oh, well, should I like open this up to like broader product marketing use cases? Should I start talking about like persona, like all these different kind of angles? And at the end of the day, I always just land in like, no, I think that there's still so much that we can dig into as it relates to the CI profession. Like, yeah, most people, um, or I shouldn't say most, but there's a strong number of people who 
are doing CI part time. And so like we there are conversations on just like product launches or things like that. Um, but by and large, it's conversations about building out competitive Intel programs and making sure that folks that are in that kind of CI point of their career that they're as successful as possible. Do you have or do you consider yourself entrepreneurial? Like, do you have ambition to be doing building full time? Eh, kind of like I, I love I love building. I love applying things that I learn. But um, what I don't want to do is leave a great opportunity, like a, a great job where I'm I am learning a lot, like from other people too early. I think I see most yeah. I think there's a there's a ton of hype around solopreneurship and uh, freelancing and consulting and like leaving your nine to five and all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, like if you're in like a, a you know a toxic work environment, like get out of there, find something that's better. But I definitely like I really don't want to downplay like the value that I've gotten from working at the companies that I've worked for. It's given me so much perspective. It's I've I've learned from so many great leaders and I've seen things play out like from a larger kind of company and like market perspective that I would have never had access to otherwise. And so, you know, I've definitely like thought, oh, like, what do I want to do at the end of the day um, regarding like healthy competition? Like right now I'm able to have it grow and get the value that I see from it and that I think that the community members are able to see from it at the pace that I'm able to, that I'm seeing right now. Um, and if I'm able to continue like working for companies that are giving me these great experiences and they continue to pay well, like then, yeah, like <laughs> I don't know why I would ever switch that up unless like there was, there was yeah. really such like an opportunity that I would, unless I was like missing out on something just so crazy, you know, that that's kind of how I, how I see things. Yeah. You're not leaving Apollo. Yeah. Don't worry. I, I know you're worried about giving off. The no, vibe. no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, no, you're and it, and I think I really appreciate your perspective on it because I do feel like we're in this moment, the last year or so, where a lot of people are kind of going off and doing their own thing, solopreneurship, as you mentioned. Um, we've had a number of them on the podcast. You're buddies with them. You actually launched a new course yeah. with Tamara Germinski and Jason Oakley, both of which have been on the podcast before. Um, I guess, yeah, let's start there. Walk us through what was the impetus behind creating that course yeah. and what yeah what, totally yeah and jason and tamara that's been like a dream working with them yeah they're they're so awesome that pretty much um we had been speaking number one let me just say this is this is the value like ending up putting the course together of actually starting a podcast so i had had jason and tamara on my podcast uh before i'd seen them you know obviously on linkedin and the best part about starting a podcast isn't necessarily like listening to getting like listeners or whatever. Don't get me wrong. That's a benefit. But I've always found that the best part about having a podcast is connecting with other people and then being able to like, just, just like continue that relationship down the road. And so over the past year, I had met with Jason and Tamara and um, we realized, okay, cool. Like we're actually doing a lot of like the same thing, like just like, you know, as it relates to like being a PMM, creator and like the work that we're doing like let's just like set up kind of like a, a slack channel where we can just kind of keep in touch and just share like what's working what's not okay cool so we did that for a few months and it was it was great we were sharing like different tips and tricks and different questions and then um i had done 
a Maven course. Maven's this, um, it's a platform that you can build cohort-based courses off of. I had done something for competitive Intel about a year ago, and it went really well. And I was approached again by Maven, I would say like two months ago, and they said, hey, like we're doing this rollout for GTM-focused courses. Like, do you want to do the competitive Intel one again? And I was thinking about it. I was like, I just really like it's a lot of work to do those by yourself. It's just yeah. it's a lot of work. And I was just thinking, oh, I'm about to start this new job. Like, I don't know if that's something that I can commit to right now. But then I was like, oh, well, you know, there might be an angle to more formally work with Tamara and Jason. I'm just gonna like kick it over to them and see what they think. And they were really into it. And it turned into this whole project that we worked with each other for months on. We just wrapped it up um, a couple weeks ago and it went better than we could have ever imagined. And it, it was just a ton of fun it, as opposed to it being a hundred percent focused on competitive Intel. It was focused on, um, making sure that PMMs could master a product launch. And so obviously competitive Intel is in there, but so is like pricing enablement personas, all that kind of stuff that, you know, Tamara and Jason have a lot of expertise in. And so it's been, like I said, just a dream to, to work with them and put it together. And it's like a live course, right? You have yeah, cohorts. Yeah, and... yeah. So we had like 30 PMMs in this last cohort. Um, and that, that's what makes it really fun. Like it's, it's like we're talking, like me and you kind of a thing. Like there's definitely a presentation element to it. Um, but then, you know, you have people asking questions in the chat while you're doing it. You can like interact and be like, okay, like someone give me an example of like when this happened or like – Here's a question, like, how would you answer this kind of a thing? And so you're not just learning from, like, whoever's leading the course. You're also learning from other peers, people that have been in your shoes or are in your shoes. There's definitely another kind of community element to it as well. All right. Now I want to get into maybe a little bit of a touchy one, but financially. So these the community, healthy competition, do you make money from that? How do you make money? What are you thinking about in terms of revenue if you're comfortable yeah, totally. sharing that? And then these courses, and then secondarily, these, these, this coursework that you've been doing. Like, yeah, how, how does the revenue model? <laughs> the course is definitely more of a moneymaker for sure, but it's also the thing that I've spent the most time on for like this entire mm. year. You know, when, when you're putting together like almost like this collection of all the things that you know about competitive intel, and you're trying to then also research things that haven't necessarily been spoken about or posted about in other like LinkedIn posts or blogs. That's definitely something that I spent hands down the most amount of time on. Um, from a community perspective, like with healthy competition, it was funny. I I started things out like uh, it was just free, right? Like I, I just wanted to get like a solid group of like CI folks together. And I realized I am putting way too much time into this thing. Like don't get me wrong, like it's a passion project for sure. But like there has to be some kind of like – compensation element to it in order to put these events together yeah. in order to like get all these people together. Okay, cool. So I'm going to make it like, uh, it was like 10 bucks a month kind of a thing. And, uh, it's continued to grow. And I've realized that having that barrier that like kind of, uh, that payment element to it, it, it benefits the community in such a way that not just like anybody can jump in and just can kind of like scrape the information and can kind of leave. Even when, when it's just $10 a month, uh, it incentivizes people to like to try to contribute 
as much as they can and also get as much as they can out of the community as opposed to just kind of like checking it out. All right, I'm going to like whatever and then just like dip out. And so that's been one of the most important elements in the entire community is starting to to ask for some kind of a monthly payment or annual payment. Um, Got it. I didn't know you were doing that. I like that. So obviously the Product Marketing Alliance doesn't do that. It has a different vibe and different purpose. You doing that, I think, is very smart. I'm a part of this community called Hampton, which is like uh, founder, CEO, vetted network. And it's decently expensive. I can't remember what I paid. But to your point, like you have to consciously think about it. You're investing financially, which means you're also investing emotionally in your time and therefore I'm much more engaged in yeah. there and I take advantage of all the things. And I think that that's the right yeah. approach. And uh, this is also the first time I've actually talked about any kind of pricing on a podcast. So hopefully I'm not too shaky on this yeah. talk track, yeah, I, I but yeah. um, the, uh, the only other thing <laughs> I say, because it has actually gone up like more than just $10 a month at this point. Um, but even still, like when I put, when I think of all of the, the work and time that I put into making it a really great place to hang out and learn, I it, like, I'm not getting rich off of this thing. Like it, it would definitely come to being yeah. like earning like less than minimum wage at the end of the day on all that I'm working on with, with healthy competition. You know, I see like uh, a lot of, uh, you know, sales influencers like talking about, Oh, making like 250 K like per year, like on my, uh, on my side hustle. Like I would love to get to that position. I am in nowhere. <laughs> I'm nowhere close. That's the other thing. Like when people ask like, well, when are you going full time on healthy competition? And I'm like, uh, maybe I, when I can get to like more than like one eighth <laughs> of like my annual salary, then I'll consider doing that. So just want to make sure like full transparency, that's kind of how it all works out in the end for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, but there's a real, you know, there is a real revenue model and operating model behind a community like that that could make sense someday, someday if for you sure. All these I'd things. love to get there. Um, um, I just don't have as much of like a carved out timeline. Part of me is like afraid of of getting to that point because I love that uh, there's like a, a passion element to it, and I'm afraid mm-hmm. that it's going to turn too much into like work, which. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 there's some decisions where like I'm able to say, yeah, like I want to pursue this thing because it sounds really fun. I don't really know like what the, you know, like what the monetary angle is going to be down the road, but I think if I can do it, do this thing really well, something will present itself and I can kind of like give myself a pass for just pursuing it. Whereas if I, if I go too far down the business route, I might like push back on myself. So I don't know where I'll end up, but that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at now. Well, you're clearly like a very thoughtful person. You, you know, you think very deeply about all of these things. So I'd love to dig into your decision-making process. Um, I ask most of our guests the same question and that's, you know, yeah. How do you think about making, making decisions? Do you have a framework (laughs) you utilize? Like what is your, what is your thinking? Yeah, no framework. Uh, I have a super short attention span. And I definitely can fall victim to shiny object syndrome. I just like, I like learning about different ways of going about things. And uh, I like to keep things interesting. And so, you know, I think with competitive Intel and like with differentiation, um, one thing that you kind of pick up on as you study other companies is you'll see things that make these companies different. Like they're succeeding because they do 
this like a little bit different. And um, that's kind of what I, I get obsessed with, like personally, like, okay, I can see like these other companies, maybe in like the community space or product marketing, like they're doing these types of things. Okay, got it. Like, so this is like the, the traditional kind of angle of going about this. Like, how can I twist this a little bit or make it a little bit more interesting or whatever to make it more appealing? Um, it's almost like, you know, when you're starting your career in product marketing, you don't really get the opportunity to to really impact the the overall strategy of the company, right? Like in your first five, six, seven years, unless you start to work for sure. like a startup or whatever. Um, and you aren't really in a position where you can just tell like your VP of product marketing, hey, well, you know, I like read this uh, book and uh, about positioning. And so here's, I would actually change it so that, you know, they're going to laugh you out of the room. They're going to be like, yeah, dude, like I've been doing this for 15, 20 years. Like, why don't you sit back and learn kind of a thing? Um, <laughs> and so with my decision-making criteria with um, healthy competition, it's all about just like, okay, like what do I learn like from books or from like my full-time job, from podcasts? And like how can I like apply it like in real time? And that's what – that's been another really great um, kind of learning is just um, like as it relates to healthy competition. It's been just like such a great – kind of outlet for like testing different ideas with very minimal negative consequence. You know, you can kind of see what works, how people react to things. And then you can kind of, you can just become a better marketer through that channel in addition to your full-time work. And so that's definitely, I, I try not to think too much as it relates to, Oh, should I do this thing? I usually just try to say like, okay, I'm going to do this thing and then we'll see what happens. Kind of a thing. I try to give myself like a little bit yeah. of like a time frame of like, Okay, for the next three months, I'm going to really like get after this. I'm not going to like try to wimp out like a week into it if, if I don't see results or that kind of a thing. And then at the end of that time period, then I'll just look objectively and be like, was this really worth the time? Did I have fun doing it? Would I want to do it for another three months? And then I just kind of go from there. Well, keep doing what you're doing. I uh, am very much um, impressed from the sidelines to see all the things you're you're trying to tackle. And by the way, I'm an Apollo customer. We use Apollo. Um, while we were recording this, I got an email to my watch that said uh, some Apollo something um, magazine. Okay. I don't know that's what our, it is. That's our content. That's our content <laughs> uh, blog. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take a look. Um, but thanks so much for, for coming on. And I'm sure we'll continue to stay in yeah, close Yeah, absolutely. Touch. Thanks so much, dude. And that's a wrap on this episode of Embracing Erosion. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have any feedback or comments or would like to have certain guests on the show, please feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is devin at fluviomarketing.com. And if you want to acquire additional product marketing resources, please do visit fluviomarketing.com resources. Until next time.